Yeah, it has a good song in it. It really. Oh, by the way, in case you didn't know, it's a beautiful day when God redeems you. I told Dave, Nave, he sang that in the first service, and man, one, it just fits the message so well today, and he does such a powerful uh, job on that. Really filled my heart and blessed my heart. And then we were singing all these songs about how great um, is our God. Almost every song talked about the greatness of our God, and that's just powerful. I, I want to challenge you to do something, okay? I'd like for you to consider, sometimes during your quiet time or when you're doing something, you're working on a crossword puzzle or something, and um, think about that song we sang that, you know, how great thou art, you know, how great thou art, and I, do something, do something fun. Why don't you take that and personalize it? So, so for me, sitting on the second, or standing on the second row there, you know, I started thinking, and it didn't go far with it, you know, we preachers, you know how it is, everything's got to start with a certain letter, but I said, God, how great you are, and then I thought about my life, and I said, God, how generous you are, and then I thought about the, the years that I've walked with him, how gracious you are, and that's my challenge. Why don't you this week sometime think about those three or four words, how great thou art, and make it your own, and just start substituting adjectives that describe God to you and the way he has acted and worked in your life. It's got to be fun. It's got to be fun. So hope you'll do that. Maybe somebody will come up next week and say, hey, here's what I did, and give me some of the words uh, that adjectives that you came up to describe our great God. So ain't God good? And thank, hey, thank you for coming out today. Um, let's just be honest, it's a little bit chilly outside. And uh, I told them down in Georgia when we started reading the forecast, we were down visiting my sister this week. And uh, I told several people, you know, in Georgia, they can't even spell cold. And um, yeah, so I said, well, I got to tell you, Baptists don't like cold too much. But you apparently like it a lot. Well, you love Jesus more. How about that? Amen. All right, so hey, here we are in like week number three of our new series, uh, 24, Redeeming the Time. And remember, we're talking about 2024, and we're capitalized on the idea, the concept of 24 hours in a day, which is... 1,440 minutes, okay? So each day when 1201, you know, the, the midnight strikes the hour, if God allows us to live the whole day, we've got 1,440 minutes. And Paul encourages us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, see then you, that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So each day we have this opportunity, realizing that God made the day, what are we going to do uh, with these 1,440 minutes that God gave us? Now, the whole idea of the this, of this series is we're looking at different topics, um, dealing with the idea of 24 and what we're going to do with 24. Um, the whole concept being, what are some things that we could talk about, think about, learn about, that just might help us have a better 24 than our 23 was. And that is definitely the idea today, where our topic is kind of cute, I think, okay? The Babylon Bunch and the Pigsty Guy. And our little short scripture, and we got some others to plug in there, is Psalm 126.1. So you can probably figure out the Babylonian Bunch is the children of Israel while they're in exile um, there in Babylon. And the Pigsty pig Guy, yeah, you probably figured that one out too. It's a guy we call the prodigal son. We want to talk about him. So let's look at our starting point and see how we're doing. So this is really good. This verse is just four just points that are so big. So again, the setup is the word has finally come that the children of Israel can go back home. And so they're on their way. Some of them are on their way back to Jerusalem. 
it's burned, it's destroyed, the walls are down, the temple's been destroyed, but they were going home, and we all know there's no place like home. So they're leaving, and this is one of those songs that they would sing as they marched toward Jerusalem. And the first part of, of verse number one says this, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem. Now, it's, it's really several key things. First off, notice this, when the Lord, when the Lord. You know, I want you to, now these are, I'm going to say some things that are not phenomenally deep, but they're phenomenally true, okay? Number one, God is the God of bringing people back. Now, if you find yourself maybe in a place that feels like Babylon, Babylon was there, well, we'll talk about it in just a more, but, but Babylon, they were in Babylon because of disobedience. And maybe, maybe in 23, there were some things that happened and, you know, you sinned against God and there was a big consequence and you feel like, man, I'm still living under the burden of that consequence and that's your Babylon, okay? All right? So he is the God, though. He's always interested in bringing you back. And then perhaps you're like the pigsty guy who, you know, willfully walked away from God and his father willfully walked away and found himself in a pigsty. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's just a blatant sin, and you have made a mess of your life. It could be. But notice this. When the Lord brought back, he is the God who brings people home. Okay? So important. In fact, look at those next words. You know, when the Lord brought back who? His exiles. His exiles. I love this because it means this, that even though the children of Israel had disobeyed, and even though they were in exile, they were still his exiles. So no matter where you are today, no matter what mess you've made in your life, no matter how you stumbled and fallen in the mud puddle, no matter how you messed up your, your marriage or perhaps your life already, even as a young student, no matter what you've done in your life, I want you to know this. Once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are his. We are his. And the great part about being his is that he's always in interest of bringing you back. So when the Lord brought back his exiles, he brought them back to Jerusalem. I like this. You know, Jerusalem was home. Jerusalem was like the center place of everything. Even when it's destroyed, there's no place like home. And he didn't say, now you guys, now listen. <laughs> yeah, I, we do this. You know, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to live in Jerusalem. I tell you, I'll get you halfway. I tell you what we'll do. We'll get you out of Babylon, but you're on your own once we get out of the city limits. He doesn't do that. He brings us, listen, listen, listen. He brings us all the way home. I, I was talking, I, my phone rang at 7.30 one morning. It was my sister-in-law um, calling from North Carolina. And she said, Dwayne, I have a question for you, a theological question. And, you know, she was talking about, you know, is there a sin that God can't forgive? And I explained, in case you don't know this, the one sin that God cannot forgive is when we reject Jesus Christ as Savior. So rejection of Jesus Christ is the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. And I said, Kathy, here's the deal. We can never, um, we can never out-sin God's grace. We can never out-sin God's grace. No matter how much sin we have, God's grace is always greater. I love that. So, so when he brought the folks back, he brought them all the way home um, to Jerusalem. All right, so what's our teaching point say? Well, 
They were both stuck in a rut of their own making. Now, now the bottom line is, you know, the children of Israel, like us, you know, some, have you ever been called a roller coaster Christian before? Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Love God, don't love God, love God, don't love God. Back and forth, up and down. Will sin, won't sin, will sin, won't sin. All of that, up and down, up and down, okay? You know, sometimes that happens. Well, that's what happened with the nation of Israel. And finally God said, okay, you're going to Babylon. And you're going to Babylon for seven decades. That's 70 years. Now, I want you to write this down. I do not believe Babylon was about God, I, God saying, I'm punishing you. Or I'm, I know he wasn't mad at them, and I don't think he was punishing them. I think, to use an old term, I'll explain in just a moment, to use an old term, I think God sent them to a reform school. That's what I think. Now, reform school is an old term from probably the 50s, perhaps, 40s, somewhere in there, maybe early 60s. And, you know, you, you, when, a, a young, when a juvenile uh, messed up enough, you know, they would send them to reform school. And as the name implies, the purpose of reform school was supposed to be, was supposed to be reform, to help them reform. Well, I think it's what Babylon's all about. I think God is sending them to Babylon to reform them, to redeem them, to help them come back to him. I don't think it was necessarily punishment as much as it was redemption. So, but they're in this rut, okay, of their own making. And, and how about you? Do you feel like you're in a Babylon place? And it, was there something in 23 that happened in your life and you realize you just made a rut and you're stuck in that rut? Okay, perhaps it is. And then today we're going to learn how God wants to bring you home in 24. All right? Now, but the word says they were both, okay? So the consequences of sin had landed one bunch in Babylon. We just talked about that. And a guy in a pigsty a long way from home. Now, I want you to get this. God sent. Somebody say sent. Yeah, yeah. God sent the children of Israel to Babylon to reform school, to be reformed. Okay? He did not send the guy to the pigsty. You remember the story, don't you? Remember, he got kind of irritated with dad, tired, irritated the rules, got tired, got tired, got tired, got tired. And so, you know, he one day walks up to dad and says, okay, dad, you know, I know you're going to die one of these days anyway, so why don't you go and give me my portion of the money? And he did. And then, plan in place, he takes off and goes a long way from God. All right, so he goes a long distance, and he parties down, has a great time. You know, it's amazing when you got money, you got friends. Well, you need to write that one down if you got your notebook out. Okay, when you got money, you got friends. Everybody's your friend when you got money. Well, what do you think happens when the money runs out? Yeah, your friends run out. Your friends run out. But boy, again, it's so clear. You know, in our great job. Um, that Josh did in our men time during our breakfast, you know, is where friends will run out on you, God never will. God never will. I love that. He's always your friend. He's always your friend. Once you put your faith and trust in Jesus. So anyway, and so yeah, and so, and so um, he decides he's going to run away. He gets there, spends all this money, and in desperation, he goes to work for a pig farmer. Now, he's a young Jewish boy, and we could get all in that, but the bottom line is it was a horrible job. A horrible job. So he's sitting there, he's starving, and he's feeding the pigs, and he kind of like, you know, saying, gosh, you know, even his pig food looks good, okay? Now, again, he's there because of his own bad mistakes, his own bad decisions. 
Have you ever made bad decisions before? Ever made any? Yeah. Okay. Now, once again, even now, now write this down. I have some note takers here. Okay, so write this down. Even when God forgives your sin, often He doesn't remove the consequences. You still got to deal with the consequences. You know, you're speeding, and the cop pulls you over, and you know Dad's going to kill you. So you start praying behind the wheel. You know, God make this not happen. God make this not happen. God make this not happen. Too late. God's not going to make it not happen, but he'll give you the grace to deal with the circumstances. All right, so here he is, pigs die there. You know, he goes, man, man, I've made such terrible mistakes. But they're all there, one, because of consequences and because of sin. And this guy by the pig's eye is a long way from home. And then, and then in his timing, his wonderful timing, God opens the door of freedom. That's what I'm saying. God is a bring back God. Now, again, that's so simple, write it down. So later on, you can remember it, okay? God is a bring-back God, and that's exactly what he's going to do. You know, but he does it. When does he do it? And then in his timing. You know, God's timing is always so perfect. God's timing is always so perfect. In Galatians chapter um, 4 and verses 4 and 5, have you ever wondered why Christmas happens when it did? You know, there have been, you remember, remember Malachi, you know, God just shut it off. Boop. All of a sudden there was no text. There were no emails, no Instagram or nothing from God. Total silence for 300 years. God said nothing. No prophets, no preaching, nothing. And then after that time, God shouts. And he shouts by giving us his son, his son. Okay, so here we go. You know, when the right time came, why then? Well, there's lots of reasons, but I can give you a couple that I might at least find intriguing. Okay, um, number one, it was the Pax Roma. Pax, P-A-X, Roma. And Pax Roma was forced peace. So throughout that region, Rome ruled the world. Like Rome, hate Rome. At least it was a peaceful time, but it was a forced peace. So it was a good time for the gospel to be spread. If there had been wars going on and all of that, the gospel had been harder to spread. So it was Pax Roma, okay? Um, secondly, um, the infrastructure um, that Ro- Rome built was incredible. A lot of, if you go to that part of the world, there are still many Roman highways still in existence. So if you're going to spread the gospel, you need to way spread the gospel. And Rome made that possible. So that's a reason. Um, there, was, there was what they called Koinine Greek. It's a type of the Greek. It's the common man's Greek. And it was widely spoken throughout that region. So we have, we have peaceful times. We got roads to share the gospel. And we have a semi-common language that the common man could understand. And who did Jesus primarily come? To the common man. To the common man. And then there was a hunger. Then there was a hunger. For all these 300 years, there were still people who hungered for the Messiah. We want the Messiah to come. We want the Messiah to come. So when he says, when the time was right, that's some of the reasons why. And look what God does. God sent his son. Incredible. Born of a woman. Born of the Virgin Mary. God, man. 100% God, 100% man. Subject to the law. Now listen, look, look. look. God sent him to buy freedom. Man, the, the redemption song. One of the ones that, that Trey sang talked about our freedom. 
Freedom. You know, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. But I want you to understand, if you're not a, a Jesus person, you know, you can also see the value of something by the price someone's willing to pay. Here's what Jesus did. So he comes to earth, born, you know, straps on a human baby body, okay, grows up, lives a sinless life, um, ministers for three years, touching people, healing people, preaching the word of God, and then willfully, somebody say willfully, the cross was not murder, okay? He wasn't even a martyr. He willfully went to the cross because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Someone had to die for our sin. And then it goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he goes to a Roman cross. If you ever want to know how much God loves you, just remember this. He sent his son Jesus, his one and only son, and had him nailed to a Roman cross, savagely, savagely killed on the cross. That's what the price was for you to be saved. How incredible. So, so as you're a Christian, you kind of get casual, you know, a little bit, little bit you know, puffy about your Christianity. Just remember, you weren't worth it, but he paid the price. You weren't worth it, but he paid the price. So God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us. I love this. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 3, remember Jesus talking to Nicodemus? He, Jesus says, you must be born again. That is so cool. But here's what else is cool, that we could be adopted. See, when a person, even, even now, even now, but more so back then, often, by the way, when they adopted somebody, they were usually adults because babies um, died so often. If you're going to adopt somebody, you want to make sure they will make it, so they adopt young, young adults. And so, so when that person was adopted, he received the full, now write this down, the full rights and privileges of a son. They didn't come into the family and say, if you prove yourself for five years, then maybe you can have 20% of the inheritance. Um, if, if you prove yourself for 20 years, we'll give you 50%. No, 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 no. As soon as, as soon as, as soon as they were adopted, they had every right and every privilege of sonship. And guess what? That's true with you. The day you met Jesus and said yes to Jesus, you were, quote, born again, Okay, but then God also adopted you and you became a full-blown heir of the Son of God. It's just, it's amazing, it's wonderful. Listen to this. This is Romans eight seventeen, the first part. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So here we are, we're, we're born again and then we're adopted and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words... What's his is ours. Isn't that awesome? What's his is ours. So that we can be adopted as his very own children. Don't lose that. Don't run past that. Don't miss that. You are a child of God. No matter, listen, not if you get it right, not if you manage to live two days without stumbling on your face spiritually. You are a child of God and nothing, somebody say nothing. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing's going to change. Nothing you can do. You cannot, again, you cannot um, out God's grace. It's just amazing it's truth, and it's just wonderful. I love 1 John 3, 1 says this. John writes and says, how, how great, how, how great of love the Father has given us that we can be called child, a child of God, children of God. Well, that's nice to be called that. 
But then you know what else John says? He says, and that's what we are. So look at me. If you're a Jesus follower, you're a child of God. Hold your head up. That's what we sang about today. Child, hold your head up. Hold your head up. You are a child of God. You're not a child. Ooh, this would be a bad deal. You know, you're not a, you're not a child of the Baptist church. You're, you're, not, you're not a child of religion. You're not a child of the let's try to do better. <laughs> you're not a child of the let's do better club. You are a child of God. And nothing can change. I love this. I love this. So, so in this perfect timing, he sends his son who is willing to pay the price. And what a price it was. And he did it so that we could be adopted and called children of God. It is just totally, totally amazing. All right, so what's our teaching point? All right, God's timing then, God's timing for the Babylonian bunch was dictated first by him and then by them. And what in the world does that mean? Okay, how long did God say the kids were going to stay in Babylon? Yes, 70 years. Did you write that down? 70 years. I want you to realize something. That's a long time, okay? But God said that, and again, keep in mind, Reformation... All right, God wanted to reform their lives, and God knew it would take about seven decades. Some of them were going to die in Babylon. Some were going to be born in Babylon. But he, God knew about 70 years, all right? So, so after the 70 years, dictated by him, after 70 years, God began to open doors, okay? Now, here's the deal. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is Ezra chapter 1 and verse 2 through 4. Now, again, write this down. Ezra, this is not in your notes. Ezra 1, 2 through 4. Now, what did I just say? God began opening doors. So it's not like, you know, you know, they had this little meeting, and one of the prophets guys said, you know, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been 70 years. I, I wonder um, if God's going to keep his word. How will, we, how, how will we know it's time to go home? See, God don't want us guessing his will. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this. This is what King Cyrus of Persia, he was the, the king of Babylon. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me. Now listen to this. This is a pagan king. Somebody say pagan. I love the way God uses pagans. Aren't you glad God uses pagans? Yeah, that's why he uses us. Okay? Yeah. So he has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem which is in Judah. What? The, the Babylonian king, the king of Persia, is going to build a temple for God? Wait, what? Any of you. How many? He's speaking to the Jewish people. Okay? Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord. The king who captured them, well, another king captured them, but you get the idea. It's been 70 years. Okay, now this king, this, this government says, now anytime you're ready, you can leave. You can go back to Jerusalem. In fact, you can go back and build a temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. Now watch this. And may your God be with you. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go from captive to free. And then we have the blessing of the king. You know, you know may, may the Lord God be with you. It gets better, it gets better, it gets better. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found the king decrees, let their neighbors 
contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock. What? Yeah. So the king sets them free and then orders all their neighbors to give them offerings and, and money to make the journey. Isn't this crazy? You wonder, you, wonder, you wonder why they knew it was time to leave Babylon? It was obvious. And by the way, if you just happen to think you're in Babylon, uh, there's a really good chance God sends you signs. You're free. You're free. You're free. He closes out with this. Let me back up and get four again. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. How crazy is that? So God's timing for Babylon bunch was dictated first by God. He sends the kings a message, hey, let them go. Let them go with, with funding, okay? But then it was by them. Well, here's the crazy part. First off, when you think captivity, probably you might think about Egypt. You know, the children of Israel for 400 years were slaves in Egypt. And, you know, it's horrible. You know, you remember, the, you know, you remember seeing you know, Charleston Heffin, let my people go. You remember that guy? You know, the, the whips and, and the horror of what it was to be in Egypt. And that's what we often think about Babylon. But Babylon wasn't that way. Honestly, it's a pretty good place to live. And that's a problem, by the way. But it's a pretty good place to live. In fact, God said, hey, um, while you're there, listen, you're going to be there 70 years. Okay? You're not going to be there 20. You're not going to be 40. You're going to be there 70 years. So go ahead and build houses. Let your family marry other you know, Israelites, those kind of things. Just, just go ahead and, and do that. Okay? So my question is this. So why, why didn't the people leave? Well, some of them did. Maybe a couple, 3,000 left. But the vast, a vast chunk of them stayed. You want to know why? They were comfortable. You want to know why we don't run from sin? We get comfortable. Sometimes sin can be fun. And sometimes we love sin more than we do the Savior. So we decide to stay there. I'm sure, I am sure when they first got there, year, you know, five or six, there's a vast, you know, common movement. You know, we dream. You know, Martin Luther King, I have a dream. What's your dream? To go back to Jerusalem. And then finally when that happens, they don't go. See, they got comfortable in Babylon. And write this down. It's partially mine, partially who knows who, Okay. But comfort zones are where dreams go to die. Comfort zones are where dreams go to die. And, and when, you, when you are in your comfort zone in your sin, the dream of being free dies. We become way comfortable where we, where we are living, where we are living. So God's timing for the Babylon bunch was dictated first by him, but then by them. They had to make the decision, do we go home or do we stay? And so me, I chose to stay. But now for the pigsty guy, well, it was his call. God didn't send him there in the first place. So it's his call when to go. I like this. I like this. The door to his cell was really never locked. He just needed to push. He was in the pigsty of his own making. And there was, a, if you will, he was in this jail but the door was never locked. All he had to do is come to 
Well, I can't tell you now, you'll have to wait. He just needed to push. He was a prisoner of his own sin and stubbornness. Been there before? Find yourself in a crazy mess and it's all yours? Yeah. We all have. We all have. It's all of his making. All right? So President Franklin Roosevelt, of all people, you know, said this. Men are not prisoners of fate, but only prisoners of their own minds. Oh, that's good. You know, we, as Christians, we're not prisoners of our own fate. Most likely, we're prisoners because of our own minds. In fact, we can just make it real, real practical. Um, men, no, uh, oh, no, 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 no. You are not prisoners of your fate. Okay, so you've made this mess. Oh, no, oh, no, I'm separated from God forever. Oh, no, oh, no, okay? You are not prisoners of your own fate, but prisoners of your own mind. You have it convinced in your mind that God doesn't love me, God won't forgive me. And guess where you got that idea? Mm-hmm. You didn't find it in the Bible, you found it from the devil. Because he loves to whisper in our ears. God doesn't love us. God doesn't moan us. He'll just, you know, throw us away. We're just a piece of trash to him. That is hogwash, hellfire lies. That's all it is. What holds us often is our stinking thinking. Like I said last week, you cannot live right if you don't think right. Amen. So, so you're not a prisoner because of even your circumstances. You're a prisoner because of your mindset. Well, our next teaching point says this. So, God spoke to the Babylonian bunch and the pigsty guy, and, and the pigsty guy decided to push, push. So, we got those two things. God spoke to the Babylonian bunch, but then the pigsty guy one day decided to mash on the door. He decided to press on the door, and an amazing thing happened. What was it? Look at our teaching point. Go ahead, bud. There we go. The turning point for them was God's merciful timing. For, for, the, for the Babylonian bunch, 70 years came. The, God was faithful to his word, 70 years. So it was God's merciful timing. But for the young man, and then for us, now this is really for us. For the young man and for us, it is found in a dozen short words. Words when spoken and acted on that can change our 2024. Okay, what I'm fixing to share with you in simplicity can help you have a better 24 than you did in 23. No matter what the sin was, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter what the bad decision was, if we will live these words I'm fixing to give you, these dozen words, it can change your 2024. Are you ready for it? Let's give it to them. Here it is. I took two, it's two verses, 17 and 20, six words from 17, six words from 20. You put them together and you get a powerful truth. When he came to his senses, he returned home to the Father. He was sitting there in the pigsty and he came to his senses and he said something like this Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What am I thinking? Man, the servants at my dad's house have more than enough to eat. Oh, I know what I will do. I will go back to my father and I'll tell him, Father, I have sinned against you and, and heaven. And I'm not, I'm not, it's not worthy to be called your son. Would you make me a servant of yours? He came to his senses. Now look, if you are sitting in a pigsty, if you've got a habit, if there's something going on on the internet and you that you don't need, that doesn't need to be there, 
If you, if you become a victim of viciousness on social media, okay, if you've got some addiction in your life, okay, whatever's going on, whatever is going on, okay, you need to come to your senses. The first step home is come to your senses. And then when you go home, be sure to go to the right place. He didn't decide to just go home and to live in the neighborhood. I mean, life would have been better. As far as we know, there wasn't a famine where our home was. So life could have been better, but he knew better. He came home, when he came to a census, he returned home to who? His father. Look at me. If you think you're in a pigsty today, life is messed up, you've messed up, you need to come home to the father. I said this earlier, I'll say it again. You don't need to come home to religion. You don't need to come home to let me do better. You don't need to come home to, to, uh, to just church or denomination. You need to come home to God. And that is through repentance and accepting his forgiveness, including forgiving yourself, by the way. So he did, yeah. So he came to his senses. He returned home to the Father. So what's our next teaching point? Well, for both the Babylonian bunch and the pigsty guy, the time had come to believe. Now, here's, here's the key. The Babylonian bunch, okay, in exile, they had to believe God. And the pigsty pig guy, say that three times fast, okay, had to believe that the Father would receive him. He had to believe that the Father would receive him, okay? So each step signaled the end of a nightmare and the birth of a dream. Wow. Each step that they took signaled the end of the nightmare. The time in Babylon was over. Joe, it was over. The time with the pigs was over. And that's where we get the second part of this little verse. When the Lord turned the captivity of his exiles and let us go to Jerusalem. Go ahead. Throw that short purse up there. It was like a dream. Been living a nightmare? Come home to God. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard about this deal where Jesus paid the price of your sins. You always thought you had to do better. You always thought you had to keep the rules. You always thought going to church. You always thought, you always thought, you always thought. Maybe today for the first time you heard, it's not you trying to do it. It's what Jesus did. And you're going to find out that nightmare of trying and failing and consequence and guilt and shame, that nightmare becomes a dream. It becomes a dream. Look at our teaching point. The thief, obviously, you know, this is John 10, 10, by the way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know that part. But look at this. But Jesus, did you know this? Jesus can restore whatever the enemy steals. You know, you get something stolen from you, it may never show up again. But Jesus can restore whatever the enemy steals. He can resurrect whatever the enemy kills. In fact, he can rebuild whatever the enemy destroys. Wow. He can turn your worst nightmare into your sweetest dream. If you want 24 to be different than 23, come to your senses. Come to the Father. Come to your senses. Come to your Father. But Dwayne, is it really possible? Can he change my life? Can he change my future? Oh, yes. Look at Ephesians 
and chapter 3. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful verse. Look what it says. Now all glory to God who is able. But we can just stop right there. All glory to God who is able. Whatever you got, he's able. Whatever you're facing, he is able. Whatever you need, he is able. I guess he's a God not only brings people home, he's the able God. There's nothing he can't do. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. See, it's not us. That's why. See, if it was just us trying to do, we would fail. But it's him working in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. His power, that's what I've been trying to say today, his power is greater than you could ever dream. Don't be afraid to dream. You know, again, this is one of those things I was driving yesterday, Friday, and it's not mine originally, but I'm not, I, these words originally are mine, but the thought is, is somewhere else. But write this down. A dreamer is a person who plants a tree he knows he'll never sit under. A dreamer is a person who plants a tree he knows he will never sit under. You know, we've, Judy and I, even though we stayed at Cobden 14 years and we've here come up on 24 years, I was always slow to plant a tree because I never thought I'd get to see it. You never know when your life is going to change and you'd be moved. And then one day this little maple tree grew toward my fence. And first two years, I think, I kept whacking it down. Didn't dig it up, I just whacked it down. And one day we decided... We just let it grow. And that tree is now, gosh, probably 35 feet tall. I mean, I have a real tree. I get to rake my own leaves. I always rake my neighbors. I get to rake my leaves now. You know, I never dreamed I would get to see that that tree that big. Don't let your dreams die. Be willing to plant a tree. Be willing to live for God, even though you think you may not see the effects of your legacy. Go ahead and trust God. You know, the people in Hebrews chapter 11, they all trusted God, even though they didn't see the promises fulfilled. Go ahead and trust God. Dare to dream. Dare to trust God with 2024. No matter how big of a mess 23 was, don't be afraid to trust God for 24. Let me close with a, with a quote. Um, I, I didn't use the slide for this because I didn't like the verbiage. I changed it a little bit. Um, but James Dean, if I remember, if this is the right James Dean, um, it was like kind of a rock star, you know, in the 60s. I think he died a pretty young death, I think. Um, but anyway, here's what he said. He said, dream as if you'll live forever. Dream as if you'll live forever, okay, okay, and then live as if you'll die tomorrow. Dream as if you'll live forever but live as if you'll die tomorrow. In other words, dream big. With God as your author, dream big. And then, well, carpe diem. Seize the day, not for yourself, but for God. So you can make, you and God can make 24 different than 23 if you're willing to trust him. Are you in Babylon today? You feel like maybe God's put you in a particular place to teach you? Maybe you're in reform school. Redemption school. Or maybe you're in a pigsty. Your life is a mess. Just know this. 
Either way, the Father wants to grant you freedom. And the freedom comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Hey, would you bow your heads, please? My little timer turned red. He's trying to tell me it's time to quit. So if you're here today, first off, boy, you heard enough of the gospel today. If you're here today and and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Now, now we need to give you some more details about what that means. I understand you have questions. Uh, Brother Brent would be down front, and he can answer those questions for you. But we're not trying to sell Dorisville Baptist Church. We're not selling Baptists. We're not selling the Do Good Club. But we are selling a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who loved us so much, he died for us. God sent his son that we could be free. I love that. So my, my friend Brent will be here and can answer any questions that you've got about that. And then secondly, you know, how about you? You're a Jesus follower, but 23 was a mess. Maybe you're in a mess right now. Just know this. Push on the door. That's what the pig sky guy had to do. Just push the door and you'll be surprised. Guess what? It's not locked. The father's waiting for you to come home. The father is waiting for you to come home. The altar is open today. If there's a decision you need to make about church membership or about being baptized or trusting Christ, we are here for you today. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of teaching today. Ah, thank you that even when we find ourselves in exile, we're still your exiles. And why, if we even find ourselves in a pigsty, you're still waiting for us to come to our senses to come home. I really like that. Speak to the hearts of your dear people today. Father, give them the courage to make any decision that you're calling them to. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.